wonder if you've noticed uh, how we live in a society that's obsessed with speculating about things. And uh, we do it all the time. Just think back to this last week. Beginning of this last week, we were all speculating about uh, when the election was going to happen. By Tuesday, we'd been told by the Prime Minister the date of the election. And uh, as soon as that happened, we were then busy speculating about the result, who was going to win, and, and what post-election UK would look like. Who's going to be in number 10? What differences are they going to bring to our lives and the lives of everyone else who lives in this country and beyond? Well, our readings this morning, we've got a, a, another kind of before and after picture of Simon Peter. We see what Simon Peter's faith looked like before Easter and then what it looks like after Easter. After he knows that Jesus has risen from the dead. If you look at uh, the first of those readings we had uh, from uh, John's Gospel, John 13, verses 36 to 38, we can see Peter being seemingly so confident, so confident that he says these words. He says, verse 37 of chapter 13, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. He's that confident. I'm going to follow you even if it means to dying. And Jesus tells him those truthful words about himself. He says, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth. Before the rooster or the cock crows, you will disown me not once, not twice, but three times. And he did just that. We heard that in the second and third of the readings. If you uh, glance across uh, back in chapter 21 again now, if you glance across to uh, John chapter 21 and verse 3, you can see that, well, Peter considers that he is a failure. If you look at uh, verse 3 of 21, uh, Peter says this to his uh, other disciples with him. He says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. Peter feels that he is a failure and he's recycled his life, as it were, and he's gone back to what he was doing before he met Jesus. If we'd been there, we'd have speculated that that's exactly what Peter would do. He's denied Jesus three times. Jesus has gone on to die. And uh, we'd have said that Peter would have gone back to uh, square number one ended up where he started. But Jesus sees things very, very differently, doesn't he? He's gone to find Peter and the other disciples by the Lake of Galilee, and he's met with them. And Jesus takes the failed and the recycled Simon, and he forgives him, and he reinstates him. Peter had so spectacularly failed that we'd have speculated that there was no way back. But within a few moments, everything has changed. Easter, Jesus' death and his resurrection, has changed everything. And in this chat that Jesus has with Peter, we see what it means to really be a follower of Jesus, to really be a Christian. That it's not primarily about believing things, about belonging to a group of people or behaving a certain way. It's, it's actually all about knowing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ 
That is authentic Christianity. We find out also that, well, as, as we see Peter, as we see Peter reinstated by Jesus, we see that there is always a way back to Jesus. If we're willing to come back to him, he will always be ready and willing to have us back, whether it's for the first time or for the hundred and first time. That should be music to our ears, shouldn't it? Because all of us, if we think about it honestly, all of us, like Peter, have denied Jesus, probably even denied him today. The things that we have said or haven't said, have thought, haven't thought, have done, haven't done. And Jesus' words to Peter show us how to do that. They show us what it is to be an authentic Christian. What it is to truly love Jesus. I'm going to look at four aspects of true love this morning. And the first is this. It's a commitment to be made. A commitment to be made, verses 15 to 17. As Jesus and his disciples finished breakfast, Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he has a chat with him. Well, it's not so much a chat, it's a bit of an inquisition really. And he asks him not just once, but three times if he loves him. Verse 15, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? It's difficult to work out what Jesus is meaning there about, do you love me more than these? Maybe one of three things, but I think the central truth is key in each of them and is there in each of them. It might be a reference to Peter's return to fishing and so Jesus is pointing over, do you really love me more than these? Are you really going to come back and love me more than the life that you've returned to and all that it once held, a life of fishing? It might be a question as to whether Jesus was loved more than, well, Peter loved the other disciples. Peter, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? Or it might be whether Jesus is loved by Peter more than he's loved by the other disciples. So Peter, is your love more than that of the others for me? It doesn't really matter, does it really? Because actually what underlies each of those is actually the truth that well, if, if we are going to say we love Jesus truly, then actually we're going to love him more than anyone or anything. That's what lies behind each of the questions Jesus asked Peter. We see it again in verse 16 and 17. Jesus says to, to him, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Again, verse 17, do you love me? Three times Peter denied Jesus Three times he denied being committed to Jesus. Three times Jesus asks Peter to reaffirm his commitment to him. And it really hurt him, didn't it? Just listen to the responses Peter gives. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Again, verse 16, he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Verse 17, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. 
Peter's commitment to Jesus is 100%. And he now knows that actually Jesus realises that that is true also. I guess we're all used, aren't we, in the lives that we live these days, to signing or stating our commitment on a regular basis. Uh, We do it when we start a new job, we sign a contract. Uh, When we buy a new house or we start a new rental agreement, uh, we sign again there. We do it when we get married. I, David, take you, Ali, to be my wife. We do it when we uh, go and pay for something in a shop. We use chip and pin. Few of us these days sign our name on a cheque, but we do it with chip and pin. We say that we are committed to this transaction. Well, Jesus here says that the mark of genuine love for him is being committed to him. Putting Jesus before everything and everyone else. I wonder what you most value in your life. You might like to just think about that for a moment. What's most important to you? Or perhaps if I put it a different way, uh, what would you most miss if I were to take it away from you? Jesus here says to Peter, and he says to us, whether it's a job, whether it's friendships, whether it's our lifestyle, whether it's our family, whether it's our hopes and dreams for our future, whether it's our reputation, all those things are to come second to him. Second to him. If I'd been sitting where you are this morning and uh, I'd been asked that question, I guess I would have thought of all sorts of things. I'd have thought of my wife, Ali. I'd have thought of the work I do here at Christ Church. But I may not have thought of the Lord Jesus. But actually, he is the one we are to value and to love before all things and all people. It's supposed to be true to us for us right at the beginning when we start out the Christian life. We make a commitment to Jesus. It's all about commitment to him. Jesus says, do you truly love me more than everything else and everyone else? You know, that's the message that he sends through the message of Easter, isn't it? I love you more than anything else. Jesus goes to the cross and he dies in our place. He pays the penalty for our sin, our rebellion against him, so that we can be his friends. Because he loves us that much. That is how much he is committed to us. That is how he showed his love for us. How about your commitment and your love for him? I wonder if you've told uh, Jesus recently that you love him. Have you done that? I guess those of us that are married or have families. I guess most of us would say that we love or say I love you to the person that we're married to on a regular basis. We might do it on a daily basis just because we have to say sorry because we've done something wrong or we haven't done something that we should have done, say, sorry, I love you. But we perhaps don't say it to them as much as we should do. But how often do we say it to Jesus? I love you, Jesus. Have you done that today? Have you done that this week? How about your commitment to him? How about your commitment to him? Have you made that commitment in the first place? 
That is the question. That is what shows whether we truly love him. Whether we have made that commitment to him in the first place. Maybe that some of us have never done that this morning. It may well be that there are some here that need to remake that commitment. If you truly love him, you will do that. So a commitment to be made. Secondly, a responsibility to be accepted. Did you notice that as we looked at verses 15 through to 17, that each time Jesus asked Peter whether he loved him, Peter responded, and then Jesus gave him a responsibility. In verse 15, it was feed my lambs. In verse 16, it was take care of my sheep. In verse 17, it was feed my sheep. It's amazing, isn't it? Here, Peter, the one who once denied Jesus, is given an amazing responsibility. And if he truly loves Jesus, he will accept that responsibility and live it out. He will look after and he will teach the shepherd's flock, ensuring that Jesus' followers are indeed discipled, that others are drawn in, into the sheep pen. Way back in Ezekiel, God promised to be the shepherd of his people because the shepherds that he'd sent had failed to be the true shepherds that they should have been. In Christ, God the true shepherd comes to be among us and comes to die for us. And now he gives Peter the responsibility to feed and to care for the sheep for which he has died. And it's a responsibility that he has to accept, hasn't he? It's another mark of his true love for Jesus. wonder if, uh, as you've looked around and lived this past week, I wonder how you've done with the responsibilities that you've got. Responsibilities perhaps to wash up or to do the odd bit of ironing or cleaning or to do this or to do that at work. I don't know what it is. But I think often we abrogate or we don't live up to the responsibilities that we have. Parents often abrogate their responsibility for their children. Either to teachers at school, and of course teachers at school rightly say, well actually hang on a second, I'm not primarily responsible, and they pass the responsibility back again. The government takes responsibility sometimes and at other times hands it back. That's what's behind the Iraq inquiry, isn't it? To see who was responsible for doing what. And and everybody's squirming because they don't want to take responsibility at all. But you know, if you are someone who genuinely loves Jesus here this morning, then we will accept the responsibility that he gives to us. Now let's be clear here that our responsibility is not the same as Peter's. Peter's responsibility was unique. But we are all responsible to play our part within God's people, as God's people. It's not just my responsibility. It's not just Paul and the rest of the staff's responsibility. It's not just small groups' responsibility. We are all responsible for helping people to come to faith in Jesus, to take that step of commitment, to get going as a Christian. We're all responsible for helping others to keep going as Christians, to keep on being committed to Jesus. And whether we're going to accept that responsibility shows whether we really genuinely do truly love him. 
To be sure, we've all got different gifts, different roles. And I guess there's always going to be a temptation just to duck them. And I guess that's, that's why something like Service Sunday is so helpful. So helpful for us all. I, I wonder, have you filled in your, uh, a, a, a response to Service Sunday yet? I wonder, if you haven't done that, it may well be that you are ducking your responsibility to your brothers and sisters I encourage you to do that. There are still uh, uh, forms to fill in through in uh, the atrium. Please do pick one up. Don't duck that responsibility. If you truly love him, then you'll long to be fulfilling your role. It's also tempting, isn't it, to focus on what other people are doing or not doing. Uh, We get a classic example of that here with Peter. Uh, As Jesus says to him, uh, this is what uh, you're going to have to do. Uh, Peter turns and looks at John. John's the one who writes these words. And verse 20, Peter turns and sees the disciple whom Jesus loves. And he says, Lord, what about him? Verse 21. And Jesus turns to him and says, look, don't worry about him. Don't worry about John and what I've got in mind for him and his responsibilities. Worry about the responsibility that I've given you. What does it matter if I want him to remain around longer than, than you're going to remain? That's not the issue. The issue is whether you are going to live up to the responsibility and accept the responsibility that I've given you. So we have a responsibility to be accepted. And we will accept it if we truly love him. Be it a responsibility to the Lord Jesus for our own family, in our own family, parents, parents here this morning. You are responsible for bringing your children up to know and love the Lord Jesus. If you have uh, people who are not Christians in your family, you are responsible to living out your life before them, to speaking to them about the Lord Jesus. We're responsible in our church family, aren't we? Responsible just as folk are through teaching the youth and the young people this morning. Responsible so that they can be fed and nurtured in the Lord Jesus. We're responsible where we live, aren't we? Responsible where we work. Responsible in the gym, responsible at the school gate. Responsible in the societies that we belong to. Are we going to live up to those responsibilities that Jesus has given us? It may well be that you want to... uh, to make the most of that opportunity of Service Sunday to work out how and where you should be responsible. Take that opportunity to go and sign up to that today. So a responsibility to be accepted. Thirdly, an allegiance to be maintained. Verse 19, do you see that? Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Follow me. On the surface, that might look like a fairly easy task for Peter to do. Until you look at what else Jesus has said just before that. Verse 18, Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he said, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Again, later on, in verse 22, he says, you must follow me. 
Christianity has at its heart following Jesus. Those who love Jesus will follow him. I guess most of us in our lives have at some stage or other played follow my leader. If you're parents, you probably still play it. If your children are small, that is. But you know, living the life of the Christian is a constant life. It's a whole life thing of playing follow my leader. Where Jesus goes, we go. And Peter was going to follow Jesus to his death on the cross. Of course, if you remember playing follow my leader, it'll be up and down stairs, inside, outside, over the back of the sofa, under the table, through the stinging nettles, through the puddles, through the bits we don't like. And that's the same with following Jesus. There will be things that we do not like to do, but which he calls us to follow him in and through. Now, living in uh, the United Kingdom as we do, we probably won't have to face what Peter faced. But elsewhere around the world, Christians do. Let me read to you uh, a report from Evangelicals Now in uh, this month's edition, April 2010. It's entitled, uh, Pakistan Refusing to Convert. It says this. Four Muslim brothers of a 26-year-old Christian beat him unconscious in February because he refused to convert to Islam. Riaz, whose Christian parents died when he was a boy, said his continual refusal to convert infuriated his siblings and the Muslim cleric who raised them. He was offered 1 million rupees, that's about, uh, it says here, uh, 11,790 US dollars, a fortune. He was offered that, he was offered a spacious residence and a woman of his choice to marry in order to lure him to Islam. But he declined. He declined. He maintained his allegiance to Jesus, whatever the cost. Now, we won't uh, face that kind of opposition, I don't think. Nevertheless, if we are going to fly the flag for Christ visibly, if we are going to wear Christ upon our hearts, upon our lips, in our lives, then we will face being marginalised. Laws in this country are consistently becoming more and more anti-Christian. We'll be prejudiced by the law, prejudiced against when we stand up and declare that we are followers of Jesus Christ. You'll find it in your families, you'll find it among your friends, your colleagues at work, you'll find it at the school gate, you'll find it at university. Our allegiance to Jesus will set us against the world. But Jesus says, follow me, maintain your allegiance to me. That is true love. That is true love. Don't take the easy way out. Reminds me of uh, part of the uh, marriage service. We often forget this part, but uh, just before... uh, a minister gets uh, the couple to say their vows to each other, he asks them each uh, a question or a series of questions. It says, says to uh, the groom, he says, in my case it was David, will you take Alison as your wife and live together as God ordained? Will you love her, comfort her, honour and protect her in sickness and in health? and forsaking all others 
Be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. If I'm willing to do that, I will say I will. That's just the preamble. And when we come to Jesus, he says, follow me. Your allegiance through thick and thin, through the good times and the bad times. He demands total submission, ongoing allegiance in what we believe and how we behave. So that means if uh, later on today or this week, as we will do, we, we turn around to Jesus and we say to him, look, actually, Jesus, I'm not going to accept what you have to say on this. I'm going to go my own way today. That's as good as saying to Jesus, I don't love you. And that, of course, is the first step of walking away from Jesus, of denying him. And if we go on doing that, then on that final day, on that final day, if we haven't repented and turned back, it will lead to him denying us. It will show that we don't truly love him. And we never have. So an allegiance to be maintained. And finally, as I close, a testimony to be believed. A testimony to be believed. Uh, As John ends his gospel here, uh, we see that that uh, John was present at that meeting between Jesus and Peter. He was there at that breakfast. And he wants to say to us, he says, look, Just like the rest of Scripture, take this testimony as true and believe it. Not only was I present there when this happened, but also he's pointing us back to the words that Jesus spoke in chapter 14, 15 and 16, when Jesus said, look, when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit to you, and he will remind you of everything that I have taught you. And because of that, we can be confident in what is written here, confident that it is truly God's word to us, that we can believe his testimony about Jesus and about what true love it really is. But of course that brings us straight back, doesn't it, to where we began, that actually Christianity is all about knowing Jesus personally. And this is how we find out about him. This is how we get to know him, by reading the scriptures. This is how we begin to have a relationship with him. Just look across the page to uh, the end of chapter 20 and to verse 30. In it, uh, John says uh, why he's written these words. He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you may have life. You may have life. Life now and in eternity with him. A relationship with Jesus. That is what John says. If we believe what is written here. And he goes on to to end his gospel in these ways. Let me just read to you verse 24 and 25 of chapter 21. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Sometimes people put off becoming Christians. People don't read the Bible for for a number of reasons. Uh, The first one is that they can't believe the Bible. 
The second reason why people often put off becoming Christians is they haven't heard enough. They want to know more. And in these final words, John actually just helps us to see that, well, he's answered both those questions and he tackles both those issues. Firstly, he says that actually this gospel is true. It's a testimony that is accurate and to be believed. And we can trust it. I was there. You can believe what I say. And so to those of us here this morning who perhaps are saying in their hearts, well, I just can't believe it. Why not try believing? Why not take that step of faith? I often say it at Christianity Explored. Often we like to walk around the swimming pool, don't we? Just dipping a toe in and wondering whether we should jump in and start swimming because we're just not sure what it's going to be like. And often people do that with Christianity. They just step around the edge. They make up excuses. I can't believe the Bible. When actually, it's true. It's true. Believe it. Jump in and get going. Why not see that for yourself? Why not? Why not do that? What have you got to lose? Give it a try. This testimony is accurate and true, and through it we will meet Jesus. And secondly, John says here that his gospel is enough. If you want to know about Jesus, if you want to know him personally, if you want to know everything about Jesus, well, well, you're not going to finish reading the books in this life or in eternity because what John says here is that if you covered the whole world in bookshelves, you went to our house, you'd see a few rooms full of bookshelves. You went to my study, you'd see three or four walls full of bookshelves. But actually, if we were going to record everything that Jesus did, we'd have to have bookshelves right the way around the whole world and we'd still run out of space. You see, John is saying, look, these words are enough. This testimony is enough for you to believe. And if we believe in it, will we act on it? Will we allow these words to lead us to Jesus, to shape us like Jesus, to help us to follow Jesus? Above all, you see, it tells us that in and through these words we will have life and we will come to know the one who loved us so much that he died for us. And we'll come to know how to love him back. It begins here with this testimony, John says. So, breakfast by the lake of Galilee. A breakfast that had profound implications for Jesus' first disciples. Profound implications especially for Peter. And for us also who read these events. Peter was a man that, if we speculated, we'd have said was written off. A no-hoper. A failure. A man who'd recycled his life, gone back to catching fish and not men. But Jesus had other ideas. He reinstates Peter. Peter is a forgiven failure. You seen that? A forgiven failure, welcomed back. And as Jesus does this, he underlines both to Peter and to the other disciples and to us what true discipleship and what true love for Jesus looks like. And with Easter just a week behind us, it's a good time, isn't it? to check out our faith and see whether we truly love Jesus. Because, you see, whether we truly love Jesus is going to be, well, that's going to be the plumb line for Jesus' judgment of us on that final day. That's why it's such an important question to make sure that we are answering correctly. Jesus asked Peter and he asks us, do you truly love me? 
Do you truly love Jesus? Do I truly love Jesus? What about you and you? The balcony. Over here. Over here in the conservatory. Do you truly love Jesus? And does your life show that you truly love him? We need to be honest with ourselves, folks, don't we? We can fool ourselves. We can fool one another. I'm all right. I really love Jesus. But actually under it, underneath it all, you know, the truth is we cannot fool Jesus. We cannot fool him. What is your answer? Do you truly love him or not? I think if we're honest, if we're honest, the report we should write about ourselves is could do better. Could do better. And I'm saying this not not because I want to give us all a guilt trip this morning, not because I want to bash you around the heads, bash me around the heads, because it's true of all of us. And let's remember, it was true of Peter. It was true of Peter. Jesus died upon the cross that we might be forgiven, that we might be able to come back to him and start again, to have a fresh start with Jesus and to go on truly loving him. I wonder who needs to do that this morning. I guess if we're honest, all of us have to do that, don't we? For the first time, for the hundred and first time. So in a moment of silence now, let's consider our commitment to Jesus. Let's remake our commitment to him. Let's recognise the responsibilities he has given us. And if we don't know what they are, let's resolve to find them out. Let's resolve to reassert our allegiance to Jesus in every area of our lives. And then let's return regularly to feed upon his word. Let's just think quietly for a moment and then I'll pray.